Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. We begin with breaking news. That major new promise from the BC Liberals just ahead of tomorrow's throne speech. Premier Christy Clark announcing today her government will make a $1 billion investment in child care over the next four years, creating 60,000 new child care spaces and providing subsidies for households earning less than $100,000. This is the biggest investment in British Columbia's history in child care we've ever made, and we're going to do it over the next four years because families can't wait. And when you need child care, you need it now. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. And Keith, a uh, couple of points here. Where will the money come from? And mm-hmm. is this too little too late? Well, first of all, the money is coming from an uh, excess uh, surplus. The surplus for the last fiscal year is going to be about a billion dollars higher than it had been anticipated or forecast. So that's uh, basically what's going to pay for this uh, program going forward. In terms of whether it's too little too late, liberals I talked to over here today are under no illusion. They expect to lose the confidence vote on Thursday, June 29th and move into opposition. But also this throne speech, which concludes the daycare announcement and childcare announcement, is also part of a much broader campaign platform that liberals are now going to put in front of the voters they anticipate the election could be as early as later this summer or perhaps the fall or next spring. So the throne speech is basically the Liberal campaign platform, one they probably wish they had back in May rather than the one they're going to have to put in front of the voters weeks or months from now. Mm-hmm, no doubt. OK, thanks very much, Keith. We'll be talking to you a lot over the next week or so. And later in the news hour, a global exclusive. I'll sit down with both Christy Clark and John Horgan one on one for some straight talk about what could happen next. That's coming up later. And we have some breaking news out of New Westminster right now, where police are investigating a gruesome crime. Witnesses report that a young man, possibly in his early 20s, was struck in the head with an axe at Moody Park. It happened late this afternoon. He was rushed to hospital with undetermined injuries. There's no word on whether police are still looking for a suspect or not. A bold new vision for one of the last prime waterfront development sites in downtown Vancouver. The Plaza of Nations doesn't have the prestige it did during Expo 86, but the man who owns it has some ambitious plans to bring that glory back and then some. Ted Chernecki sat down with the owner to see what the future looks like. So this will be a, um, a Galleria type of space right. so that partially covered so people could sit here and have coffee and so there on. There are big plans in the works for the old Expo Plaza of Nations property. In the coming months, the owner from Singapore will be going to the city and the public seeking approval for approximately 1,400 condo units plus commercial and public gathering entertainment centers. Probably one of the largest property left in yeah. Vancouver. Set the world in motion. Older Vancouverites will remember this as the epicenter of the Expo 86 site where something was always happening. Not anymore. Nothing really for 30 years. The Plaza of Nations is a plaza of flagpoles. Even the current owner who bought it from Lee Ka-shing in 1989 in a five-minute deal almost forgot about it. I'm so busy in my business uh, in Singapore and China. 
So we still continue there. Until recently, I came here, you know, it seems to be everything ready for redevelopment. The goal is to again make this a happening place with a seawall that will actually follow the sea and not a parking lot as it does now. That old Plaza of Nations building designed the last 10 months will be replaced by a boutique hotel and the architect sees rooftop greenery everywhere. Well, Ericsson actually did a sketch in 1956 visualizing Vancouver with green terraces. The owner of the Canucks has also stepped into the project with plans for a street-level NHL-sized hockey practice rink for both the Canucks and the public. People to be walking by, they can see into it. If they want to come in, come in, have a look. You'll be able to see the Canucks practicing there. There may even be the visiting teams practicing there. With the city's decision to take down the viaducts and the community plan for neighboring Concord Pacific and the public parkland now committed to the creek's northeast corner, the developer of the old plaza site can clearly see an opportunity. Ted Schenecke, Global News. And right around the corner from the Plaza of Nations, hundreds of people lining up today hoping to score one of more than a thousand jobs up for grabs for that massive hotel casino development right by BC Place. Our Nadia Stewart has more on those hoping to score one of those jobs. Nadia. Chris, people were lining up for interviews as of 6.30 this morning, hoping for a job here. But a 1,000 jobs is a huge number to fill, and there isn't a lot of time. They came by the hundreds, hoping to snag coveted jobs. The competition is pretty, like, pretty high. We're just freshly graduated. We don't really have that much experience compared to other people. I hope I'm finger clawing into finding... I'm getting a job. Number 84 June. 84 June. Every person in line was interviewed. Park Vancouver hoping to hire much of its staff locally and quickly, casting a wide net to attract much-needed talent. We have been advertising throughout uh, the country. We have been partnering with WorkBC sites to hire uh, or put together training programs to hire through through the summer. We're anticipating that we're filling all roles, so all 1,000-plus positions. But industry watchers say filling all those jobs won't be easy. There's labor and skill shortages, so there's just not enough young people coming into the workforce to be filling a lot of these frontline entry-level jobs, as well as there's a skill shortage of skilled trades, such as cooks, chefs, um, other culinary and other skilled trades that they need in the hotels. And those workers are also dealing with the pressures of housing and transportation, something employers have to consider now more than ever before. It's one thing for employers to find employees and attract them to their community. It's quite another for those employees to find affordable and available places to live. Despite the challenges, Keys and Judas say Park's arrival is good news, a testament to the province's strong tourism sector when showing no signs of slowing down. There will be three more job fairs between now and the end of the summer, but the resort is expecting to open its doors this fall with or without all of those vacancies filled. Back to you, Chris. All right, Nadia, thanks very much. Now, we saw big plans to develop part of downtown Vancouver, but the real growth is expected in Surrey, which should pass Vancouver as the most populous city in B.C. over the next 30 years. Now, to move all those people around, Surrey is pushing ahead with plans for a light rail transit network. Jeff Hastings has more on what the plans look like. Jeff, this is a huge undertaking. An enormous undertaking, absolutely. We've had another look today at some of the transformation that Surrey is about to undergo. And let me tell you, Chris, people living here won't recognize places like 104th Ave when they're done. What do you think of that? Does that look like Yale Town or Surrey? 
That ain't Surrey. A glimpse of a likely future. 104th Ave in Surrey is on the edge of a major redesign as the city looks to a more populous and prosperous future. That's what it's going to look like. That's, That's nuts. Light rail, the Surrey-Newton-Guildford line right down the middle of the street. Possibly bike lanes and certainly less room for cars. You see that picture there? That's the sign there. Okay. Now they're going to put the train right down the middle there. That's what that's going to look like. Seriously? After running from Guildford down 104, King George will receive similar treatment south to 72nd Ave in Newton. Later, phase two will punch a line out to Langley. This is what it's going to look like. Oh, that's going to look really nice. If I think that makes it more convenient for travel, I think that's really good. People and jobs are piling up in the rapidly growing city and will one day rival Vancouver. What we know in the city that uh, we just can't rely on uh, uh, increasing rural capacity to meet future demand because our city is going to grow uh, at, a, at a current rate. Uh, will be 850,000 people uh, by 2045. Surrey drivers are going to see a difference. If you kind of go back to the 1970s, if King George and 104th are sort of at that state that Vancouver's Broadway corridor was back in the day. And so we're going to see that transformation, I think, of sort of this auto-oriented suburban sort of area into a really vibrant urban, uh, urban corridor. Surrey residents still have a say. Open houses hosted by TransLink and the city are being held in the next few weeks. Change is never easy, but change is required because we have more people moving to this region and we can't go out, we have to go up. And of course, Chris, the LRT lines here in Surrey and out to Langley are just a part of a much bigger picture. The Broadway subway line in Vancouver is part of that picture, as well as upgrades to the SkyTrain service and the Mayor's Council, really hoping that other levels of government can come to an agreement and get this going sooner than later. Back to you. What a transformation that would be. Thank you, Jeff. Victoria Police announcing almost two dozen new charges have been laid against a convicted sex offender in connection with a series of historical sexual assaults. Ramina Dea is live in our newsroom now with the details on this story. Ramina. Chris, Harry Charles Sad, who's now 70 years old, was arrested yesterday. The allegations date back decades and involve 13 boys who are now all adults. Victoria police say some of the alleged sex assaults took place between 1970 and 1987 on Vancouver Island, where Sad was a badminton coach. The boys were between 9 and 15 years old at the time. Police say the first boy first came forward last August. When Saad was first arrested, investigators believed there were others, so they made a plea last summer, which brings us to today. The former teacher now facing 23 charges, including sexual assault, indecent assault and buggery. Police are still asking anyone else with information to please come forward. I'm very glad that so many people came forward, not just as victims, but as witnesses with just information. There's a lot more that did come forward, but uh, at this point um, chose to not be involved in the investigation for their own personal reasons. But we did have, we've got 13 in total that are participating in the investigation. And Ramina, given the severity of these charges and, and SAD's past, uh, some people might be surprised to know he is not in custody right now. Yeah, you're right. He's not in custody. He was released on strict conditions. Sad must stay away from places where children might be, including playgrounds, swimming pools, community centers and schools. His next court appearance is in Victoria on Wednesday. Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Romina. Well, Abbotsford police are releasing images of an arson suspect after a fire at a tire store last weekend. 
The picture is taken from a security camera Saturday night near South Fraser Way, where an OK Tire store was torched. Police hoping someone might recognize the person based on the suspect's build and clothing. I just want to emphasize that this is a very active investigation. We're still pulling video from other businesses. If we get a better image, we will absolutely put it out. But for the time being, we are asking anyone with information about uh, Saturday's arson to contact the Abbotsford Police Major Crime Section. There's another mystery. A body has been found in a burned-out vehicle near Squamish. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team releasing a photo of a vehicle similar to the one the victim was found in, a red 2000 GMC Yukon XL. They're asking anyone who may have seen anything suspicious on the Chikai Forest Road last Tuesday or Wednesday to give them a call. Cleaning up a mess that's fouling beaches and cluttering waterways up and down the West Coast. Derelict boats are a problem no one has been able to solve until now. The helicopter brought in to handle the heavy lifting and the people paying for it in just over a minute. And surprise, it's not the government. The death of Philando Castile was live streamed on Facebook by his girlfriend. And now for the first time, the police dash cam video gives a new view of how police responded right ahead on the news hour. And RCMP searched for the person who tossed a puppy out of a moving car. Where it happened and how she's doing now, coming up later as well. Well, with summer upon us, the blight on our coastline from derelict and abandoned boats is a problem that won't seem to go away. But there are three B.C. businesses tired of waiting for the government to do something about it. And they are taking matters into their own hands with a heavy lift operation to clean up one corner of the coast. Grace Key has their story. Fed up with derelict boats in Cowichan Bay on Vancouver Island, a few businesses got together to do something about it. And going so far as to hire a helicopter to airlift two boats out of a shallow area. Western Forest Products, Western Stevedoring and Pacific Industrial and Marine pooled their money together for the project. The cost of removing half a dozen boats, between forty dollars to $50,000. Plus, they had to jump through a few legal hoops. Well, we were going to salvage quite a while ago until we realized that the owners might come and claim after we'd demolished their boat that we owe them a whole bunch of money for the beautiful boat. Four boats have already been towed away. They had to be lifted out with a crane, and now they're waiting to be properly disposed of. Derelict boats have posed a problem for all levels of government. Vancouver and Port Moody both created pilot projects requiring boaters to register with the city. The federal government also earmarked $6.8 million over five years to help fund the removal of boats. The money they've dedicated to getting rid of wrecks is a, a very small amount with the amount of wrecks that must be all over Canada, but it's a start. This isn't the type of work the pilot usually does. He's typically helologging or fighting fires, but this is also not his first boat removal project. Not typically, no, but surprisingly enough, um, it's the second go-around I've done of this. I did one over in Campbell River last year, same type of thing. It was uh, an abandoned boat, and uh, yeah, just had to remove it for... Uh, for the locals there, and so yes, second time around. We care about the bay, so we thought we'd be proactive. We're trying to enhance the bay as uh, Samaritans who work and live here. Grace Key, Global News. On National Aboriginal Day, a landmark deal between Vancouver International Airport and the Musqueam Indian Band, creating a 30-year partnership. 
The deal creates employment for members of the band, including scholarships and apprenticeships at the airport. YVR will also commit 1% of its annual revenue to the Musqueam, which translates into about $5 million this year. This is a significant agreement, one that rests on a solid foundation of respect and friendship. Thank you for your commitment to having this agreement signed. One of the most emotional days I've had. I look at our council, I look at our elders and say, this is only the beginning. We are going to accomplish what all of our ancestors wanted. Thank you. And some more breaking news for you now and a heavy police presence at one of B.C.'s top tourist destinations. Police officers and emergency response team members are at Fisherman's Wharf in Victoria's Inner Harbour. You can see how serious the response is. No word as to exactly why they're there, but witnesses say they've been moving under full shields towards the liveaboard boats at one part of the dock and may be negotiating with someone. We'll update the information that we get as soon as it becomes available. But right now, obviously, a huge police presence down there at the wharf. Gambling from the comfort of your own home. It's been a little too convenient for money launderers, but not for long. The rule changes to cut down on crime. And George Clooney's big deal, how he turned tequila into a billion-dollar payday. Sears Canada so far not responding to a Bloomberg News report that says it's preparing to seek court protection from creditors. Just last week, the retailer said there was significant doubt about its future and it was struggling to meet its financial obligations. The Bloomberg report sent Sears already battered shares down by more than 20 percent today. Online gambling is a huge business and B.C. benefits from the revenue, but some criminals could be taking advantage of the system. Consumer reporter Andrew is here to explain the loophole and how new rules could close it, Ann. Thanks, Chris. Approximately 370,000 account holders are registered on PlayNow.com, the province's online casino. Players who've used the site within the last year must now give up a bit more personal information before any money goes into their PlayNow account. PlayNow.com offers everything, as you may know, from bingo and poker to a virtual casino with table games and slots. It is owned and operated by the BC Lottery Corporation, or BCLC, which was founded by the province 30 years Years ago, 110,000 online gamblers who use the site recently received an email advising them to update their profiles with their occupation before funds can be deposited into their accounts. Failure to do so could impact payments and existing lottery subscriptions. The changes are due to new regulatory obligations under the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act. As of June 17th, FinTrack, Canada's financial intelligence unit, says the definition of casino was updated to include online casinos. We adhere strictly to uh, the requirements as prescribed under FinTrack. And so with these new changes, we are required to collect the occupation of, uh, information of our players. They have to update their occupation information to deposit money into their bank account, into their PlayNow accounts. We recognize it's an inconvenience, but this is uh, towards the goal of providing the most uh, entertaining but yet safe and secure uh, gaming experience that we can offer. 
And according to FinTrack, a 2015 Finance Canada report rated provincial online casinos as a medium risk for money laundering and terrorist activity financing vulnerability. And a final note, as part of Play It Forward, Play Now Revenue goes back into the province for various programs and services. If you have a consumer issue for me, there's all my information. You can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good information. Thanks very much, Anne. A Canadian man accused of an act of terrorism on U.S. soil. What he did that shut down the airport in Flint, Michigan. And technology that can tell if you're distracted while driving. How it works, coming up on the NewsHour. There's been another suspected terror attack in the U.S., and this time a Canadian is charged. Witnesses reported hearing 50-year-old Montreal resident Amor Fatui yell Allah Akbar before allegedly stabbing a police officer at a Flint, Michigan airport. Second floor inside the terminal, we got an officer down. Urgent calls for help this morning at Bishop Airport in Flint, Michigan, after a man stabbed an airport police officer. It sounds like a stabbing to the next. Everyone was evacuated from the airport, which was quickly shut down. We are investigating this uh, incident today that happened at about 9.45 this morning as an act of terrorism. Officials say 50-year-old Amor Fatui, a Canadian, entered the United States on June 16th. He made his way to Flint, Michigan this morning, where he targeted airport security officer Lieutenant Jeff Neville. He was carrying baggage. Uh, He went into a restroom. He uh, spent a little time in the restroom. Uh, dropped both bags and came out, uh, pulled out a knife, uh, yelled Allah Akbar, and stabbed Lieutenant Neville in the neck. Neville was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. Tonight, he is improving. Lieutenant Neville never stopped fighting, never stopped fighting, until I handcuffed this person. The incident took place in Terminal 2, outside the secure part of the terminal. And there were police officers, uh, state cops, uh, airport authority lining up. Security was increased across the city. Stabbings have become an increasingly common form of terror attack, five in the U.S. in just the past three years. This one comes after a wave of European terror attacks, three in three days, following a series of deadly attacks this year. And this sort of attack really epitomizes the small-scale nature of the threat we have here. Individuals may be radicalized, but we have not yet seen the larger networks that now threaten Western Europe. Shocking new video tonight in the police shooting that rocked the city of Minnesota and contributed to protests across the U.S. And a warning, some of the images are disturbing. A police dash cam shows Officer Geronimo Yanez pulling over a car driven by Philando Castile for a broken taillight. It turns deadly when Yanez believes Castile is reaching for a gun. Sir, I have to tell you, I do have a okay. firearm okay. on me. I Don't reach for it, then. Don't pull it out. Don't pull it out. You may remember Castile died as his girlfriend in the passenger seat live-streamed it on Facebook. Yanez was acquitted of several charges, including manslaughter, but was dismissed by the police department. Police have a controversial new weapon in their campaign against distracted drivers. It's called the Textalizer. Officers can plug it into your phone to see if you were texting, calling, or using any of your apps. But privacy activists advocates say it goes too far. 
Watch this head-on collision caught on camera in Massachusetts. Police say the driver admitted she was texting when she slammed into this Jeep. And this driver in Florida swerving across the road before hitting a tree and flipping over, admitting to police he was using his phone. Now this new device called the Textalizer is aiming to crack down, recording your every click, tap, or swipe. It would even know what apps you were using. Police officers could download the data right on the spot. Okay, here we go. To see how it works, I start driving in a closed parking lot. First up, I send a message on WhatsApp. How are you? I check out Facebook. One of my favorites. I even answer a call. Hello. And send a text message too. Hi, how is it going? Sent. I pull over and we plug in the textalizer. Phone data is being analyzed. All right. I can see that you opened WhatsApp at 2.45. Uh, there were several Facebook activity. You received an incoming call at 2.59 and you sent an SMS at three o'clock. So police could pinpoint down to you were driving then and that was a minute before the accident. Yes, and that's very important. But privacy advocates say it's just too intrusive. There's no guarantee when you hand up your cell phone over to a police officer that that officer won't be looking at or copying all kinds of personal data about you. When we talked to the critics, we explained we're not getting anything about what was said in the text or who it was said to, just the touches and swipes. Police can't use it yet, but lawmakers in several states want to pass legislation to allow the textalizer, hitting you with penalties if you refuse to give up your phone. Jeff Rawson, NBC News, Parsippany, New Jersey. A big shakeup at the head office of one of the world's richest and most disruptive companies. Travis Kalanick has resigned as CEO of Uber, the $70 billion ride-hailing company he founded. The board of directors says he's taking time to heal from the death of his mother in a recent boating accident. The resignation comes after a series of costly missteps under his leadership, including revelations of sexual harassment in its offices, allegations of trade secrets theft, and a federal investigation into efforts to mislead local government regulators. Well, if life wasn't already going pretty well for George Clooney, he's now a lot richer. The actor-entrepreneur has just sold, for up to a billion dollars, the tequila company he founded as a private label with two friends, including Cindy Crawford's husband, Randy Gerber, back in 2013. Casamigos has been bought by a competitor, Clooney and his two partners are expected to stay on with the company once the deal goes through. In Health Matters, a study from the University of Alberta is suggesting the type of job you have could impact your bone health. Researchers looked at data from 53,000 people around the world and found 80% of night shift workers were deficient in vitamin D, which we normally get from sunlight. Even outdoor workers reported relatively low levels at 48%. The study suggests increasing vitamin D levels through dietary measures or supplements or through sensible sunlight exposure. New Yorkers see a lot of weird things, including this. The runaway bus and what eventually stopped it coming up. And on the eve of the throne speech, BC's government is anyone's guess. My one-on-one -on -one interviews with the two key figures who have the most at stake. 
the runaway New York City bus and how it happened right after the weather forecast with Christy Gordon. Beautiful night last night for the home opener for the Vancouver Canadians. Another oh, great night tonight, too. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it must have been so much fun at the game there. Yes. Um, today, first full day of summer, and it finally felt like it. Although temperature-wise, we only warmed up to 18 degrees. That's below average for this time of year, but we'll take it, right, with all the sunshine. Uh, yesterday was actually the longest day of the year. Today, though, pretty long. It's only actually a half a second shorter than yesterday. Um, sunset happens at 922, so still lots of sunshine to enjoy for the latter part of the day. And the forecast is looking spectacular. I'm going to show you which areas could see 32 degrees on Sunday. Coming up in a second here. First, though, the REMAX satellite. Periods of rain in through the BC Peace River area. Low pressure center off in Alberta that the wraparound is really hitting those areas from Dawson Creek north into uh, Fort St. John. Also, a few showers in through the central interior and the southern interior, Columbia, or sorry, uh, Kootenai region. But that is really going to push out overnight. We've got an upper level ridge that's going to shift onshore and it will take over the region right through until the end of the weekend. So the peak of the heat will happen, will begin Saturday, but really will happen on Sunday and potentially into our Monday. Although some coastal regions will begin to feel the change on Monday back to cooler conditions. It looks like that ridge will break down late Monday. Here's a look at your tomorrow, though. So the temperature is slowly climbing. Still a chance of showers in through the far northwest parts of the province, but otherwise uh, some cloud cover, but dry conditions and starting to warm up. Here are your temperatures across the south. Oh, Vilmont, I've kept in a chance of showers for you with just the remainder of that wraparound, but otherwise sunshine across the region. 26 degrees in the series tomorrow, 24 for Kelowna and for the south coast region. Always a range in temperature in some areas like Vancouver. We'll see 21 to 24 degrees, 23, 24 along the east coast of Vancouver Island, but a bit of humidity for you. So Humidex at about uh, 26 degrees is what you can expect uh, for tomorrow. Now, this is the five-day forecast. So inland regions of Metro Vancouver could hit 32 degrees on Sunday. That's uh, Langley, that's um, uh, Coquitlam, Burnaby, areas like that. Now, happy birthday to women's turning 100, Dorothy Cole and Elizabeth McKee. Congratulations. And it is weather window. Oh, sorry, we love w- weather window. Yes, we love water Wednesdays. Today's photo is Johanna Friesen from Abbotsford, and she plants her flowers in pots. She says it saves time and water because she doesn't need to actually water the ground all around the plants. Great idea. Thanks, Johanna, for that tip. You can also send us your We Love Water photo. Weather-wise, tips are at welovewater.ca. Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. A startling sight on the streets of Brooklyn early this morning. Y'all go buzzing for birthday! A runaway bus rolling backwards down the street, crashing into 10 cars before finally hitting a church. There was only one minor injury to a man who had to jump out of the way. The driver apparently failed to put the bus in park when he got out. No word on whether he'll be facing any charges or discipline. There is a lot of tension and drama packed into what we'll hear in the government's throne speech tomorrow. It's expected to be the most unusual legislative session in a generation. And I had a chance to sit down with the party leaders who have the most to lose and to gain. First, Christy Clark and her plans if the government falls, followed by John Horgan and whether or not his alliance with the Greens can really work. Is this too little, too late? Why now the change? Well, we went through an election. People sent a message to all the parties, I think. I mean, not just us, but to all the parties. And they said, look, 
you got to find a better balance. So whoever's in government, focus on the economics, make sure we've got a strong economy, but make sure that we are investing that wealth better. So when I ran in 2013, I said, we're going to focus on jobs, the economy. We did it. And this time people came back and said, all right, now we want you to get on with, with looking after people better. So sharing, sharing some of this wealth and also making sure we have a better balance on the environment too. Now, it sounded today like it doesn't matter if you loaded up the throne speech with gold bars for every household, it was still not going to get past the Greens and the NDP. What I'm trying to do in the throne speech is craft an agenda for government that takes the best ideas from all the parties. Now, we're not doing it all the way that they would. I mean, we're not, you know, the NDP plan for childcare. Childcare is a really good idea. We're pursuing that, but we're not doing it that way because it's not it's not really workable. It takes too long to deliver it. But we're taking all these big ideas from these all the different parties and things that I've heard in the last six weeks too, and putting it into um, a proposal that I think everybody can get behind. What do you need to do to convince British Columbians to give you a chance to lead again? Well, I mean, I think the throne speech will be part of that. I mean, I think showing people that. I am, you know, that we're listening, that I'm listening, that, you know, we recognize this outcome we just had was a comment on the fact that a lot of people didn't think we were doing enough, that we had not found the balance. And I accept that criticism. I am, you know, I'm going to embrace it. And I'm saying in the throne speech, here is our, if we end up in an election, it'll be our platform. So we're going to carry on with a billion dollars for childcare. We're going to make new investments, you'll see tomorrow, in, um, in the environment and protecting the environment. And more investments in mental health, which has been really important. So finding the that ban balance. ban on union and corporate donations And a ban stays? on union and corporate doma- donations, absolutely. We'll see what happens tomorrow. We will indeed. All right, good luck. John, thank you very much for meeting with us. Thanks for having me in here, Chris. I appreciate it. It's a razor-thin majority that you have. How are you going to possibly make this work? As long as I can remember, 44 has been a higher number than 43. And I believe once we get going with a new approach to government, a new approach to leadership, focused on people and the issues that they want addressed, I think Liberals will come on board as well. Assuming you do take power, what is it that you can do to make sure that it's workable because, you know, you have to take a look at the standing orders, the rules of the House. Are you contemplating changing anything to seize power in that way? No, and and I think terms like seize are the things that perhaps create fear and and discontent. And that's the type of language that liberals are using right now because they want to stay right where they are. That's pretty clear. If, If the liberals were going to be gracious about the verdict that the public gave them on election day, 60% of voters did not vote for them. They would have moved on before now. You campaigned on a promise, uh, a few promises, one of them, and it was very popular in Surrey and Delta. Anybody who crosses a bridge heard that tolls would disappear. When are you going to make that happen? That will be in our first budget, and I suspect we're going to have to have that uh, tabled uh, by the end of September. Okay, well, how about freezing hydro rates? That will come next year because we're already, by the time we get sworn in, it'll be into July, and that's almost the halfway point of the, of the first quarter, and we, we will have to wait until next April to freeze those rates. But we have to get to work right away on grappling with the challenges that have been created at BC Hydro. Are there any promises you made or things that you put in your platform that now, given the super slim majority, you've had to say, we need to take that off the table? Nope, not a thing. And what message the premier did not get is that people want a new government to fix the problems that they created. 
education, healthcare, long wait times for, for procedures, clogged emergency rooms. That's not on me. That's on BC Liberals and Christy Clark. The public said, you're not fixing these things. You're making them worse. Let's give the other guys a try. And that's what I'm going to do. Much more of those interviews online as well. Now, we know which Vancouver Canuck is going to Vegas. From Vancouver, Vegas Golden Knights select Luca Spiza. As Squire figured, the Golden Knights went with the defensemen. Some of the team's other moves coming up, too. And she survived being thrown from a car window. Now she has a couple of new buddies helping her recover. Aside from baseball, not a lot going on in pro sports on the field of play, but it doesn't mean there isn't a lot going on. Oh, it's draft week. Yeah. Expansion draft tonight, NBA draft tomorrow, NHL draft Friday and yeah. Saturday. So it's getting drafty. Uh, as expected, Lucas Pisa is going to the Vegas Golden Knights. He goes from a desert of despair in Vancouver to an actual desert in Vegas. Uh, there wasn't a lot of obvious talent in the list of 19 Canucks that were left unprotected for Vegas to choose from. Spiza seemed to be the one who could give them the most. He certainly will be one of their main defensemen going forward. He's a solid blue liner. We're going to show him scoring goals, but he only had two last year. That's not his game. He's a defensive defenseman. He played 82 games for the Canucks last year and was only a minus one. That's saying something on that team. He's also only 27, but he is a free agent after next season, so it's unknown if he'll have a long career in Vegas or if he'll only have him around for one year. Well, this is going on, the expansion draft. Well, the NHL awards are being handed out. Hey, look who won Coach of the Year. How about that? John Tortorella. Uh, the other ones are pretty obvious choices. Connor McDavid, that Lindsay Award, that's basically the MVP award voted on by the players. He's also the favorite to win the Hart Trophy, the MVP voted by media and such. Uh, there were some big losses for the BC Lions in the offseason when it came to personnel. Of course, Adam Bighill went down to the New Orleans Saints. Javon Olafoye was traded to Montreal. Those two overshadowed another big loss. Richie Leone, their punter, their kicker last year, he went to the NFL as well. Now, he wasn't great as a field goal kicker. In fact, he struggled so much they brought Paul McCallum back at the end of the year. But he was the CFL's best punter, and the Lions still have two kickers to make that with them trying to fill his job. These kicks are serious, bro. Yes, the Lions are serious about upgrading their field goals made percentage in 2017, but the jury is still out on who will be making those kicks. The Lions signed four-year CFL veteran Swayze Waters in the offseason. He helped the Argos win the Grey Cup in 2012 and also made an amazing 47 of 52 field goals back in 2014. But Waters is not 100% healthy coming out of training camp. I'm not kicking the amount um, that I normally would, just kind of easing back into it and not just jumping straight back into full speeds. That means rookie Ty Long is likely to handle both the punting and field goal duties in the Lions season opener this weekend. Long actually grew up with former Lions punter Richie Leone, and that's why Long's in Canada trying to get his pro career kick-started. He's got a shot to show what he can do and maybe just steal the job from Waters. That's, that's just business. You know, I mean, in the kicking and punting uh, in those positions in this uh, profession, it's, it's always like that. You know, I mean, 
it doesn't matter what you do. Everything you do is being watched, and uh, that's that's professional football. You know, I think all training camp he's done a good job, and uh, you know, in preseason he's done a very good job for us. So if ties the guy, you know, for the first game, then you know we'll be happy with that. Buono says he's not opposed to keeping both kickers around for an extended time. It's almost an insurance policy in case one falters. Last season, Leone struggled hitting at just 70% in his field goal attempts. In the CFL, low numbers like that can cost you games. I don't think any uh, field goal kickers don't think they're going to have success. If you go into it like that, you're probably not going to make many kicks. Um, so, I mean, I expect to make every kick that they send me out there for, and I hope to be able to help the team out that way. You know, right now uh, we have one kicker that I believe is going to be able to uh, play. Hopefully in a week or two we have two. And then Wally will have a decision to make. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. Steve Pierce signing autographs in Texas for Blue Jay fans who have made the trip down there. Last night, Texas jumped off to a quick start and Toronto won the game tonight. Toronto jumps off to a quick start. I didn't know DQ made tacos. Anyway, two runs score. Texas, they do. Ryan Collins drives them in. Every restaurant's making tacos in Texas. But, uh, I, could, I, could, I could use a tasty taco right now. Darwin Barney, two-run homer as well. And uh, Toronto leads 7-2 in the fifth. That's former Whitecap Michael Boxall playing for uh, New Zealand against Mexico at the Confederations Cup. New Zealand gets off to a good start. Chris Wood, who could have had a few goals in this game, gets this one to go. Mexico looked like they were taking the Kiwis lightly in the first half. Then in the second half, Mexico comes to life. Incidentally, Portugal, and a goal by Ronaldo, beat Russia in the Confederations Cup today, 1-0. Mexico, that's Raul Jimenez. This is Oribe Peralta, and they would come back to beat New Zealand by the score of 2-1. There you go. All right. Thanks a lot, Squire. Andrew, and now with a preview of Global News at 11 and the latest on those breaking police incidents we told you about earlier. And Thanks, Chris. One of those incidents at Victoria's Fisherman's Wharf. Heavily armed officers have converged on the tourist attraction after reports of shots being fired. One resident we spoke to says he heard a knock at the door and police told him he and his children had to leave. And in New Westminster, we are still waiting for confirmation from police about what happened at Moody Park. There is word a man was struck in the head with an axe. We'll have the latest on those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? Okay, and thanks very much. And out in the Kootenays, a case of animal cruelty that's going to have a happy ending. That story coming up next. It was an incredibly heartless act of animal cruelty, but it's going to have a happy ending. As Paul Johnson reports, a dog that someone literally threw out like trash is finally getting the love and attention it deserves. This could be the beginning of a great friendship. And one that came awfully close to never happening. Can I get a high five? Castlegar RCMP Corporal Brett Turner and one of his colleagues were in the back parking lot at work Saturday when a woman approached them with a terrible story. Notice what she thought was a black car pull up, throw a dog out the window, turn around and speed away. It was a wooded area on the outskirts of town. Turner knew it well. And when they got on scene to investigate, there was no sign of the car. But somebody else was there, scared and waiting. But there she was, this little black dog curled up in a pile of grass, just kind of left out in the middle of nowhere. She was a young lab cross. Turner took her to the emergency vet clinic. And while she wasn't injured, she was terrified and shy. 
So Turner had an idea. Take her home to his house and introduce her to his own dog, the burly Malamute, Phoenix. And louder. That's a good boy. When I opened the door and, and brought her in, she, uh, she almost had a heart attack seeing this giant dog, but he welcomed her into the home. Turns out Phoenix has a bit of experience at this. Turner has had him working as a therapy dog, comforting crime victims and the elderly. And it wasn't long before that warmth had rubbed off on this new orphan from the woods. We've had her now for three or four days, yeah, four days, and the difference is absolutely phenomenal. With lots of wildlife, including coyotes in the area, Turner thinks she wouldn't have lasted the night if he didn't find her. And you can imagine what he thinks of whoever abandoned her. My colleagues and, and I at Cascade Detachment shake our heads and think, how could you? This time, though, an act of cruelty has turned into a heartwarming connection. Wherever he goes, she goes. Paul Johnson, Global News. Now, Paul tells me that, that uh, Turner expects to adopt the dog oh, out, but, but man, how do, you, never, you wonder. They seem oh, oh so tight. he's not adopting the he's dog. He's not adopting oh, the dog. It eventually yeah. will be available for adoption. He should adopt the dog.